Hi folks, I'm back again, this time just for a quick give my thoughts type of episode on a movie I just saw. Uh, so we went back to the theater, an actual first run theater, and we saw a big budget film for the first time since March 2020, since the pandemic started, and it felt great. I mean, we had to wear masks, of course, when we were there and everything, but it felt great to be back in the theater for at least a couple of hours. Or so I thought. Because we watched Wonder Woman 1984 at the theater. The purpose of this small episode is not to break the movie down scene by scene. I'm only going to be throwing out my random thoughts on it. And if I liked it, if I didn't like it, if I thought certain things worked, if it didn't work. Uh, but let's get started. So Wonder Woman... 84 or 1984 is the latest superhero installment from Warner Brothers DC Comics. Uh, it is a sequel to 2017's Wonder Woman movie. This film is a long time coming. Um, it was filmed in 2018. Uh, finished principal photography in December of 18. So it's been done for a couple of years. It was then delayed due to reshoots back in 2019, and then delayed multiple times due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So, again, like I said, this film has really been completed for a year and a half or two years, which is crazy to think about it. So, 1984 was directed by Patty Jenkins, written by Patty Jenkins, Jeff Johns, and David Callahan. The movie stars Gal Gadot as Diana Prince or Wonder Woman. Chris Pine as Steve Trevor, Kristen Wiig as Barbara Minerva or Cheetah, Pedro Pascal, good old Mando, as Maxwell Lord, Robin Wright as Antiope, and Connie Nielsen just for a brief moment as Hippolyta. Uh, the 2017 film received pretty good rave reviews. It is right now currently certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, with a 93% critic score. It's certified fresh. Has an audience score of 84%. An average critic score of 7.7 .7 out of 10. So it's a highly rated superhero movie. And now since reviews went live for Wonder Woman 1984, it's actually gone down in the ratings at Rotten Tomatoes. So when the first reviews hit, when the first screenings were done, and... The embargo was lifted on the first reviews. Uh, it was certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes in the high 80s. I even think it was as high as 89% at one time. Then as more and more people saw the movie, it began to tumble. And it began to go down and down and down. Uh, it went from the high 80s to the 70s on release day. And at this moment, Wonder Woman 1984 is rated fresh, so it lost its certified fresh rating. But it's rated fresh at 65% with an average rating of 6.3 out of 10. So it's gone from 89% to about 65% now. This movie clocks in at a 
pretty hefty two hours and 31 minutes. It's a 10 minutes longer than the 2017 original film. The budget is $200 million, which seems to be pretty standard fare for a superhero movie this, these days. Nothing too out of the ordinary there. When we get to the plot of the film, and there, there's a lot of stuff happening here. It's a bit convoluted, um, to say the least. But before I talk about anything that happens in a movie, I'm going to play the spoiler warning first. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? All right, spoiler warning. Uh, again, like I said, I'm not going to break the movie down, but I'm going to start with some of the general events and then kind of just give my thoughts on it. Um, first, the film opens with Diana Prince, a young girl. She's participating in an athletic competition on Themyscira, and she's competing against considerably older Amazonian women. So there's that set piece. We flash forward to 1984. Diana Prince is now Wonder Woman. She's still haunted by Steve Trevor's death years ago, back in, I believe it was 1918 from the first film. Uh, she patrols the city, taking care of bad guys and criminals, uh, kind of remaining anonymous um, doing that. And she works her daytime job as an anthropologist at the Smithsonian in, in Washington, D.C., uh, Dr. Barbara Minerva is introduced, and she is relatively new to her job, and she is pretty insecure in herself. Uh, she idolizes Diana and kind of envies her, really. Uh, Dr. Minerva befriends Diana. They go out to dinner. Uh, they talk. Uh, meanwhile, Maxwell Lord, Max Lord, businessman, oil man, is trying to save his oil company, Black Gold. There's a... Mall scene with a rescue by Wonder Woman. A robbery attempt is foiled. Uh, the bad guys are looking to gain this ancient artifact called a Dreamstone. And that's for Maxwell Lord. He's looking for this Dreamstone. They kind of look at it and they find out that it's, it's something that's supposed to instill your dreams or instill wishes. It grants wishes. So... Diana looks at the, the, the stone, and she doesn't really ever say what she wishes for, but you can tell what she wishes for. She wishes that Steve Trevor, the love of her life, could come back, would come back from the death. Uh, Dr. Minerva wishes to be like Diana, without actually knowing that she's going to gain Diana's superpowers. So Maxwell Lord gains the Dreamstone. He wishes to... To actually become the actual embodiment of the stone. He wants to become the stone. He gains the power to grant wishes. Uh, while also becoming able to uh, take whatever he desires from that person. So uh, basically he'll trade a wish for something from that person. Maxwell gains the power after many, many wishes from different people. And then his behavior becomes extremely chaotic increasingly chaotic over time he, he's losing his mind uh, barbara minerva is later given another wish by maxwell lord and she wishes to be 
what quote unquote she calls an apex predator, and she eventually turns into the villain Cheetah. Uh, Wonder Woman and Cheetah battle it out in this movie. Wonder Woman and Maxwell Lord battle it out. Uh, the world is saved, and long story short, there's a lot that I left out there, but I kind of just want to keep this pretty short and succinct that the world is saved. In the end, the world is saved. So let's let's just talk a few th- minutes about my personal thoughts about this movie because I've got a lot of thoughts. Some are good, some are not so good. Um, but first and foremost, it pains me to say this, that Wonder Woman 1984 is not a good superhero movie. And it's not actually even a good movie. I recently read uh, in some articles from different people that they were comparing 1984 to a version of Superman 1 or Superman 2, the Richard Donner Superman 2. If anything, 1984 is a terrible version or at least gives homages to a very crappy version of things in Superman 2. Uh, There are similar scenes and themes between the movies, but Superman 2 is actually a good movie. 84 is just not. And we'll get into some of the nitpicks that I have, because a lot of this is, I mean, trivial stuff, but it's stuff that I I didn't like in this movie, and this is my podcast, so you're going to hear about what I didn't like. Um, uh, The opening scenes of Themyscira. Those were good. I I thoroughly enjoyed that. It set the stage for the movie. I I've now um, haven't really listened to anybody else's reviews before recording this, but I have a feeling that some people aren't going to like this. These opening scenes. Some people are, but I really did enjoy the opening scenes because, like I said, it sets the stage for the theme of the movie or what the theme's supposed to be for the movie. Uh, with Antiope and Hippolyta kind of teaching Diana that nothing good is born from lies. And that's a theme throughout the whole movie. So you have those opening scenes. Good. I enjoyed those. And and, and I've also heard that there's going to be some sort of the Mascara spinoff with some of the Amazons. And that would be great. I would love to see that. But anyways, flash forward to the 80s part of the film. And honestly, if it wasn't for the specific mall scene in this movie, this movie could have been set in 1995 or 2005, and I wouldn't have cared at all. They really didn't take advantage of the time setting at all. They didn't use the the fact that they set this movie in the 80s to its advantage at all. Sure, they included 80s fashions, but there was very little 80s music anywhere in this movie. There were two songs that played very, very briefly in the background of the movie. So Frankie Goes to Hollywood's uh, Welcome to the Pleasure Dome song is played during the gala that uh, Dr. Minerva, um, Diana Prince, they all attend. Uh, Gary Newman's M.E. is played very, very briefly in the background. You can barely hear it, really. If you, if you, if you go back and watch the movie again and again, you'll catch it, but it, it's very difficult to, to hear. 
uh, but it's played so briefly in the background just before Steve and Diana meet at the gala. And like I said, you get to hear maybe five seconds of that Gary Newman song. So they did not take advantage of the 80s setting at all. And honestly, again, these are my rambling thoughts. The main overall issue that I have with the film is the screenplay and the writing of the movie. It's just not good, people. Gal Gadot is Diana. Kristen Wiig is Minerva. Chris Pine is Steve Trevor. Pedro Pascal is Max Lord. The acting was fine. I enjoyed all of the acting. Gal Gadot is Wonder Woman. Fantastic. Kristen Wiig is, is Cheetah as is Dr. Minerva. Hey, I that's a, at first when I saw her cast as who would be Cheetah, I kind of rolled my eyes. But she did a great job with what she was given. And I would love to see other things with her in it as Cheetah. But we need to focus on her. Chris Pine is Steve Trevor. Good stuff. Pedro Pascal is Max Lord. Good stuff. Over the top acting. Good stuff, though. Acting was fine. I enjoyed all of that. The dialogue, though. The writing. The logic in this movie is absurd. I, I have no earthly idea how the original 2017 film gets a sequel like this movie. I liked that first one, and, and I'll even take that back. I love the first one. I think it's a really, really, really good superhero film. But this one, nope. Nope, 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 nope. Um, if you go back to the acting jobs again, Gal Gadot and Kristen Wiig, great chemistry between the two. Gal Gadot and Chris Pine, awesome chemistry between the two as Diana Prince and Steve Trevor. Awesome chemistry. Pedro Pascal, again, acting was over the top, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And when we were talking about the Dreamstone earlier, I understand that this is a play on the monkey paws tale. So you make a wish, but that wish also takes what you most desire as kind of like a price for interfering with fate. So Diana wishes for Steve Trevor back. Diana's powers are taken because that's what she most covets or desires. Barbara wishes to become like Diana. Barbara loses her what makes her her, her, her humanity. Maxwell Lord wishes to become the stone itself, and he becomes the living embodiment of the stone. Max Lord loses his health or life force. He begins to go crazy and he begins to die and degrade. The plot itself was overly complex. The movie, honestly, would have been better served with the focus on just one villain or another. I I think this gets... You see this in a lot of superhero films. You try to jam too much into it. Too many villains. Too many storylines. I mean, if you look back at Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice... You saw this. There were four or five different storylines shoved into that movie. It doesn't work. There were multiple villains shoved into that movie. It doesn't work as well. This one, we didn't see Cheetah enough. And in my opinion, we saw Maxwell Lord too much. We saw too much Lord. We saw we didn't see enough Cheetah. 
let's focus on one villain or another. Each villain is good enough for his or her own storyline, his or her own movie. Let's do that. Focus on one or the other. So there are a lot of other things I could talk about, but um, I just want to mention a few things that might be trivial to others, but these took me out of the movie 100%. So all of the museum scenes, again, trivial stuff for people, trivial, small potato stuff. But these are professional archaeologists and anthropologists. Why are they touching artifacts with no gloves? Why is there easy access or no secure storage of artifacts? It, it, it mind-boggling. Another thing, I, this has been debated back and forth, but cheetah are not apex predators. Nope, they, they are not. They are light and they're fast as fuck, but they routinely get taken out by lions and hyena and leopards. Cheetah are mid-tier predators in the world. And much like this film's villain, it's mid-tier. I mean, it's we got mid-tier action from Cheetah. I mean, this this whole apex predator stuff, um, Dr. Minerva wishes to become an apex predator. She turns into Cheetah. I mean, this is all very silly stuff to argue. I get it. I really do get it. But again, trivial, but it, it takes me completely out of the movie when you can't even get your simple facts correct. Something else. Why is the Smithsonian keeping regularly maintained fueled up jets in the back of their facility? I mean, the jet that Diana and Steve Trevor steal from the Smithsonian, because yes, they did steal this from the Smithsonian. The, the actual fighter jet itself is a Panavia Tornado, which is a British fighter jet. It's not even from the USA. It was in service in Europe. It wasn't in service in the USA military. It was manufactured from 79 to 98. It wouldn't have been in a museum at that time, let alone at the Smithsonian or let alone anywhere else in any any place in the United States at that time, considering it was still in service in, in uh, England in the military in 84. Um, also, this has been brought up, I'm sure, other places. But how does Steve? He's a he's he's a pilot from World War the World Wars World War One. How does he know to fly a newer technology fighter jet? He jumps in that thing, doesn't even check fuel. He pushes a few buttons, and they're able to fly. He doesn't even know what radar is. How is he going to fly this thing? This, this is, might be a dumb analogy, but this would be a, akin to me getting in a Formula One or Indy car and knowing how to drive it immediately. Doesn't work that way. I drive a muscle car normally, but if I was to sit in a, in a Formula One car or an Indy car, full of technology that I have no idea about, I'm not going to be able to drive that car. Pretty simple stuff, really. 
I'm not even going to try to explain how that invisible jet turning things invisible power that Diana has actually works. I mean, they, they explained it as some sort of magic. And again, this is what this film is. It's magic. But when they steal that plane, how are they going to get to Cairo? From DC to Cairo, round trip, that's like 10,000 to 11,000 miles. I don't know how that plane of that size and caliber can travel that distance without refueling, without any sort of issue. I mean, and, and again, pedantic stuff, but that tornado has a max range uh, of about 2,500 miles. I've seen some folks speculating that because of the side-by-side -side seating, remember it had that um, they were sitting side-by-side -side in the in the cockpit of the, the plane, that the plane is supposed to be an F1 or an F111 aardvark, uh, but that would be still be wrong too because they were being used by the U.S. Air Force from 68 to, I believe it was about 10 years ago. Uh, and they wouldn't have been at the Smithsonian 84. They don't have the correct flight range to make the trip either. So again, a lot of this is trivial, pedantic stuff, but it does take me out of a movie that's supposed to be about a superhero. They're going to waltz into Cairo by landing a plane on some random airstrip, I guess. Then take back off and come back to D.C. And where are they going to land? I'm sure the federal government is looking for their stolen property. I mean, after all, Steve Trevor and Diana Prince stole an airplane from a federal facility, flew it over Washington, D.C. airspace on July 4th. Yeah, I, again, trivial stuff, but I've got to point it out. And while I'm complaining about pedantic stuff, um, how about this? Because this is something that, again, it, it just shows to me that they're not paying attention to what they're doing in this film. So you remember that scene near the beginning of the movie uh, where there's that speeding uh, Pontiac Firebird Trans Am. You have the, the driver and you have a passenger. And it's played for laughs in, in, in the movie. But the camera even zooms in directly on that Pontiac logo on the front of the car. Well, if you actually watch the credits of the movie, the two actors are listed as Camaro driver and Camaro passenger. And a Trans Am is not a Camaro. Trivial? Yes. All of this is trivial again. The cars, planes, Apex Predator stuff, all trivial. I can normally overlook things like this, but that's when I'm normally presented with a coherent storyline with good action and a well-written story. This movie didn't give me those things, so now all I'm left with is picking at the dumb things out there. And again, it's pedantic for sure, but that's all there is. That's all I have to pick at because there's nothing else worthwhile in the film to, to pay attention to. I, I, I get stuck looking at some of these finer bits, and it takes me completely out of the movie. If you cannot get the make of the car correct in the end credits, it tells me that this was a sloppily made film. Again, another thing. Max Lord goes to the White House, meets with Ronald Reagan, the president at the time in 84. Or at least that should be Ronald Reagan if this is in 84. But if that's supposed to be Reagan, that was the worst Ronald Reagan impersonator I've ever seen. Didn't even look like him. Another point, 
what was the point of the gold armor, the golden eagle armor, other than to look cool? I mean, the golden eagle armor is adapted straight from the Kingdom Come arc in, in the comics. But in the story, Cheetah tore it up pretty quickly. Wonder Woman dropped those wings and the armor after that pretty quickly. And to me, it seems like just a marketing ploy to sell more toys. That's really all it is. Just a ploy to sell more toys. And I got all the way into the episode without even mentioning that Steve Trevor comes back by inhabiting the body of some random dude. This is some sort of quantum leap stuff, but it takes it to a whole other level because Diana sleeps with him. I mean, this is a magic roofie if I've ever heard of one. She, she knows it's a random dude, and she still fucks him. But it's Steve, so it's played off for laughs. But it's not that funny. I mean, I'm not sure I can get down with a dumb subplot like this. It seems pretty pop problematic and messed up to even be approaching this subject matter. But to not even address it in the movie, that's pretty insane to me. And then they go ahead and they throw in the, that last scene with Diana meeting that, that dude on the street at the end of the film. She knows who he is. She knows what happened between the two of them. He has no clue what happened. That's just messed up. I mean, the movie had a giant wall and nuclear missiles just materialize out of thin air. Why not do the same with this? Why not just make Steve Trevor appear out of nowhere in his own body at the gala, not inhabit some random guy's body? It's just such a weird, weird choice to do in the movie. Again, it comes down to that screenwriting, the screenplay writing comes down to that. And here we did a very poor job with that. One other thing while I'm talk still talking about the negatives I mentioned this already that this, again, this was set in the 80s, 1984. I would have expected to hear some good 80s music. And we got to hear about 15 total seconds of two uh, more obscure songs from the 80s. But this is what floors me here. If you watch the credits of this film, because I always typically watch the credits. I like to, to hear the music and, and watch the credits in the movies. Uh, you'll see that two more songs are referenced in the credits as being used in the film. Duran Duran's Rio and Gary Newman's Cars song. But they're nowhere to be found in the movie. They're not even over the end credits in the movie. Which, to me, I have no idea where these songs were. I mean, if you know where these songs were in the movie, please let me know. Because this just feels very sloppy, very weird to say that they're in the movie. Did they get cut? Or is this something like a very sloppy movie making, kind of like the calling the Trans Am a Camaro? I mean, again, it doesn't affect the end point of the movie, but it, it just leads me to believe that when they made this movie, they didn't really give a damn about checking for accuracy about certain things. And if Duran Duran's Rio was in this movie, I would have loved to have heard that. Or Gary Newman's Cars would have been a great inclusion somewhere. But I didn't see him, or I didn't hear him in the movie at all, anywhere. 
And again, they didn't play over the end credits. So why are they in the listed in the end credits as being in the movie? Again, sloppy, sloppy movie making. I feel like I've been overly negative today because I really didn't like this movie, but I did like some of the stuff. I mean, this wasn't a completely terrible movie. I did enjoy some things. Hans Zimmer's score. I like that a lot. I think Hans Zimmer can do no wrong. He's great. I love the score. I already mentioned I love the chemistry between the actors. Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, the Diana, Steve Trevor chemistry. That's great. They play off one each other, play off each other extremely well. Cheetah, Dr. Minerva, Diana Prince. Great back and forth. Love that. Loved Maxwell Lord's acting. Loved Pedro Pascal's Maxwell Lord. His over-the-top, go-crazy, schmormy, business guy, politician, whatever you want to call him. Um, some people read into it that he had more of a Trump-like character. I'm not going to get into that, but yes, I do see some of that. And I'm sure it was intentional. But I, I liked all of that acting. I thought they did a really good job. Steve Trevor's Welcome to the 80s Scenes where he was introduced to new technology and fashions of the decade. I enjoyed those quite a bit. I mean, if you take into consideration, again, that that's some random dude, his body in his house, it's a, it's a little weird, definitely. You're going through someone else's clothes, you're in someone else's house. But I did enjoy those for what they were. I, when he was marveling at the fashion, the parachute pants, the fanny packs, uh, when he was out in technology looking at just marveled with trains and mesmerized with escalators. I loved all that stuff. That was great. Loved it. I love the overall message of the movie that nothing, nothing good is born from lies and everything has a price. It's a great message, but it's execution in the film was just extremely flawed. In my opinion, the lessons of the, the power of community and our choices do affect each other. Even when we think they don't. That's a timely message for right now. For 2020. For 2019. For what's been going on in the world now. We have a very po- I mean, powerful, powerful way that we can affect others. But our choices do affect others. Even when we don't think they do. They do affect others. Just think of the, the COVID pandemic right now. Of what you could be doing. And what if you don't do certain things, it does affect others. I mean, this is a timely message, and I like the overall message. Good. But ultimately, the negatives far outweigh the positives here. I'm, I'm not going to give Wonder Woman 1984 a rating on Nobody Asked You, Kevin, of Loathe Entirely. I don't, it's not a terrible, terrible movie. I, it does have redeeming qualities. I'm probably never going to go out of my way to rewatch it. I mean, I've watched it now three times, and I think that's enough. Uh, I give this uh, Wonder Woman 1984 and Nobody Asked You Kevin rating of meh. I mean, it it it's mediocre. It's not a good movie. But I think you should watch it. It's got some redeeming qualities. 
Some people are going to love this movie. I haven't heard many folks say they like it better than the first movie. But I have seen some people say they like the, I mean, they love the movie. That's great. I'm glad. I'm glad you love this movie. Um, others think the sequel is complete trash, which I don't think it is complete trash. It's, it, it's, it, it's not. It's like I said, it's got some good stuff to it. It's just flawed execution. The, to me, this film is a giant ball of unadulterated meh. It's a mediocre movie. It's weak and disappointing to me. It's a movie that spent way too long forgetting that it was a superhero movie. And if you're if you're gonna line up the entries in the in the DC extended universe, if that's still such a thing, um, number one to me will always be Man of Steel. Um, but I put Wonder Woman, Shazam, kind of in the original Wonder Woman, and then Shazam like two and three, sometimes switching back and forth between those two. Um, Aquaman, I would put dead center. Batman, Superman. And then I would probably list Wonder Woman 84. I mean, 84 is miles ahead of Suicide Squad in the Justice League movie. But it's not top tier. It's not even middle tier. It's a lower tier DC movie. Uh, This movie may have worked as a comic book. Um, I'm sure because it was modeled after what you would see in like these the 80s comic books. But in movie world, it doesn't work. I'm sorry to say that. It just doesn't work. Um, I'll be ha- interested to see what happens with a potential Wonder Woman 3 movie, which yesterday I saw that, that the movie was greenlit and it's now being fast-tracked. All I'm going to say is it better be a lot better than this one. I mean, I doubt we'll see a sequel until 2024, 2025, which is a long damn time from now. But I'll hold up hope that it's a better film than this. I still can't imagine what Wonder Woman 84 was like prior to the scheduled reshoots in 2019. And what they actually cut out of this movie. Because you know they had to cut out a lot. And then if they thought the reshoots made it better. I can't imagine what this was like before. When we waited a few years for something so what I consider mediocre. Uh, And that makes me sad. I mean hopefully for the Wonder Woman 3 sequel. uh, Patty Jenkins doesn't write the next film keep Jeff Johns away from it too. He doesn't need to be anywhere near a writing for any sort of DC movie, live action movie. Um, get the original writers back. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the first Wonder Woman movie from 2017. Get those writers back. Let Patty Jenkins have her direct. She's a fantastic director. Just don't let her write the movie. Just have someone, the original writers, write the movie. Let them do their thing restore the goodness to the Wonder Woman franchise and let's go. Let's let's make it a great movie after that. I mean, this this was just a complete miss after a fantastic Wonder Woman original film in 17. This was just a miss of a movie. Again, nobody asked you Kevin rating of meh. Well, that's it. I mean, that was my review of nobody asked you Kevin or that was my review 
of uh, Wonder Woman 1984. I, not necessarily a review, but more of my rambling thoughts on the matter. I, that's it. That's all I'm going to put in this episode. Uh, thanks for listening to my rambling thoughts. If you want to contact me, find me on Twitter at Forensic Talks Guy or the show at Asked Kevin. Find us on Facebook at the Nobody Asked You Kevin podcast page. Give it a like if you can. Email the show at nobodyaskedyoukevin at gmail.com. Visit the blog at nobodyaskedyoukevinpodcast.blogspot.com. And finally, please, if you can, I mean, if you want, leave a review over at Apple Podcast. I'm always appreciative of reviews of the podcast, whether you like it or you don't like it. Please leave me a review. So until next time, my friends, much love to all of you. Have a happy new year. Later. Later.